Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to dive back into the 48 Laws of Power, Part 2. Stay tuned. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So first, let's start with an update. Last week, I had talked about the Kitchen Art of War, and I wanted to get a physical copy in my hands before I told you all to buy it. So anyway, I got a physical copy in my hands. Looks good. I wish the paper was a little bit better quality, but anyway, nonetheless, it looks good. It's full color, slightly bigger than the previous books um, that I've published. So if you have the the Chef's PSA Kitchen Journal, which if you don't, you should get one, because how are you going to remember shit if you don't write it down, and how you can going to keep track of your recipes and your notes and all these brilliant ideas and journal if you don't have a journal. Anyway, we digress. Six by nine, so it's the same size as the uh, the chef journal, but it's so it's slightly larger than the other books, which are five by eight. Number one. Number two, it's full color. And uh, because it's full color and it's slightly larger, the printing cost is much more. So it is the most expensive of the books, even though it is not the longest book. Um, so anyway, it's out. Go get it. You can find the link. If you're going to get the Ebook version, I suggest you get the one on Gumroad versus the one on Amazon, simply because the one on Gumroad, the file is exactly how it was originally intended to be. The one on Amazon does get distorted a little bit when you convert it to Kindle. So not all the images are in the right place where they should be, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, if you're going to get the PDF version or the ebook version, get it off Gumroad if you want the print copy. And, and the only reason I made it a print copy is because people were asking for it. So I wasn't intending on printing it. I just wanted to write it because I like the idea of writing these books. Um, you know, I like shorter books quick because long books, I read a lot of books and I know how difficult it is to read all these books. So I, I know people's attention span isn't there, especially in today's world of social media and constant distractions. And you all are most likely chefs, so you're busy working. I don't know if you want to read books. But I am working on another book. And uh, I'm working on two books, actually, and I'm not sure which one we should publish first. So I have an idea to one is titled Bad Sue. And it's, it's kind of like the first, the first two books, um, you know, the how not to be the biggest idiot in the kitchen and line cook survival manual, it would be like a manual for sous chefs. And I call it Bad Sue because I want to write it as examples of, you know, for example, a bad Sue talks 
badly about their chef. So that's what a bad sous would do. And then underneath it, give an example of what a good sous chef would do. So that's one book idea. The other book idea I have is to write one called The Chef's Mindset. And this would be mental practices and things that I do and things that I would advise people to do to sharpen their mental acuity to become better chefs. And I've said this before on the podcast. I've said it in many of my books. I think the biggest differentiator someone could have, um, because at a certain level, everyone understands how to cook. And really what separates the great, uh, the great chefs from everyone else is that they're they're able to think differently. Their ability to think differently is what makes them who they are. It's the Rene Redzepis of the world or the Ferran Adrias. Anyway, you get the point. So that's what I'm up to. I know I've said previously that um, I don't plan on having guests on the podcast, but I am working on something just so people know. Um, I do get invited to a lot of events and I go to a lot of food festivals or awards or you know whatever. I, I'm out there being a uh, socially awkward butterfly at times. I'm thinking about doing a podcast at a food event where I get to talk to the different participating chefs. So that might happen. It's it's in the works. I'm not saying it's uh, going to happen, but if it does happen, uh, most likely it'll happen You know, very quickly. And uh, maybe I'll have video behind it so I could create content for YouTube, et cetera, uh, Spotify, whatever. Anyway, we digress. Let's get into the 48 Laws of Power. So if you listen to the last episode, you'll know that we were on Law 10. Now, you don't have to listen to these in chronological order, um, but I am giving them to you in chronological order. So let's start with Law number 11. Law number 11 is learn to keep people dependent on you. Now, what does that mean as a chef? A lot of people say, I disagree with the statement. A lot of people say, well, don't make yourself irreplaceable. I think you should be irreplaceable. That's what creates value, right? I'm going to name some irreplaceable chefs. Grant Ackett's, Charlie Trotter, Daniel Balud, Massimo Batura, the Roca brothers. These chefs are irreplaceable. Why wouldn't you want to be like them? They have something unique. And because they have something unique about them, people pay lots of money for their food. People pay lots of money to get them to do whatever they want. And these are some of the most successful chefs in the world. So in my opinion, that's exactly what you need to be doing is you need to keep people dependent on you. You need to become the star of the show as a chef. I would also say as a cook, there's some strategy involved in this. And I'll tell you what I mean. If your goal is to make more money, and let's say you're the grill cook, for example, then you need to become the best grill cook that they need you because this is how it works in most kitchens. The person that works with the most expensive product usually gets the most amount of money um, because there's a cost associated with it. So maybe if you're a seafood restaurant, the person that butchers all the fish might make more money than the person that uh, cuts the herbs because the fish is the most important thing on their menu and it's the most expensive product that they're working with. In a lot of restaurants, in a majority of restaurants, that's usually the person that works on the grill because they work with the proteins. So they have the highest amount of skill. And because they have the highest amount of skill, and what I mean by skill is that's the margin of error, you know, the, the fewest amount of stakes get sent back when this person is on the line. And because of that, they're able to command more money. They might be making significantly more than everyone else on the team. So having people dependent on you, I don't think is a bad thing. I actually think it's a good thing and it works to your advantage. It helps you get promoted if they depend on you. If the, if the kitchen operates better when you're there, then that means that they're going to want you there. They're going to want to fight to keep you there. It would, it's what separates 
you from everyone else and gives you a competitive advantage. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that you can't transfer that knowledge, but even that, even that ability to transfer knowledge, that's a valuable skill. Not everyone can be a great teacher. So just because um, you might not be the best cook in the world, but you might be an excellent teacher, right? Or you might be an excellent marketer. Those things are what create value for you. So keep people dependent on you, I think is an important one to keep. Law number 12, use selective honesty and generosity to disarm your victim. Now, as a chef, I could tell you that this goes a long way. This is everything from simple gifts that you give to your boss, uh, being likable, being honest when the, when, the time is, when the time is right. When you're honest in a big situation, people will think you're honest in every situation. This is just human nature. Um, also, with on the subject of, of generosity, like... I used to work with this guy and I'll tell you the story. I won't, I won't say who, but anyway, I used to work with this guy and he was slick. You know, I, I, as someone who practices the art of war and understands the 48 laws of power, when you understand those tactics, you're able to recognize when other people are trying to use them against you. And I worked with this guy and he would always bring me gifts. He would say, Oh, you know, I got you this, or I got you that. But he wasn't necessarily the best cook. He wasn't necessarily the best employee, but he was really good at giving you gifts. He was really good at bringing you stuff. He was also really good at giving you information. So the gossip that was going on out there, he would be the little, uh, the little spy in the kitchen. Now I know why this person was doing that. They were doing that because they didn't want to get fired because they are not the best employee. So they make up for the fact that they're not a great employee by giving you gifts or giving you information or being honest in situations where you need someone to be honest with you. But I recognize what they're doing. A lot of people don't recognize this. Now, if you're a chef, if you're an executive chef or a head chef and you've taken over multiple places, you'll notice something. Whenever you take over a new place, there's always one person that wants to sit down with you and say, hey, chef, can I meet with you really quick? Um... And they like spill the beans on everything that's going on in the kitchen. Who's good? Who's bad? Uh, who's unethical? Uh, who's stealing? Who drinks on the job? You know, who's not a good cook? All that. Like there's one person that comes to you on day one when you're the new chef and gives you like all the dirt on everyone else. Unsolicited, I should say. It's happened to me in almost every single chef job I've ever taken. There's always that one person that comes to you. What I've discovered is that person is usually the one that I can't trust. Like when that person comes to me, I, I find out, okay, not everyone else is the problem. You're the problem. They're usually the ones that are stirring the pot, like I said before, because they're overcompensating for some other lack um, that they have. And usually that lack is skills in the kitchen or they they also like to call off or steal or whatever, but they just want you to focus on everyone else so they could get away with what they need to get away with. Now, if you've been in the kitchen long enough, you understand that all these things happen and you cannot stop it. The best thing you could do is try and uh, mitigate it and prevent it to a minimum. So anyway, let's move on. Law number 13. When asking for help, appeal to people's self-interest, never to their mercy or gratitude. Here's something everyone should know if you don't. If you ever want someone's help, you need to understand that it has to be what's in it for me. Like that's the first thing that goes through everyone's mind. If you're coming to me for help, what's in it for me? I'm not going to help you just because uh, I'm kind. Now, that, that's not always the case. Sometimes I do help people just because I'm kind. But the reality is most people, the first thing is like, if you come to them and you say, help me out, and there's nothing in it for them, if you come to them again, they don't really want to help you. If anything, they actually try and avoid you. It's like, okay, um, it's like the person that comes and says, hey, can I borrow some money? And uh, then they come to you again and say, hey, can I borrow some money? Like second or third time, 
you eventually want to keep your distance from this person because you know there's nothing ever in it for, for you, right? They, they just become a nuisance to you. So the same thing applies in the culinary world. If you're going up to someone saying, hey, can I have some chives because I don't have any on my station? Okay, one time that's fine. But you, then you become that person that habitually comes to them and says, hey, I need this and hey, I need that. And you're always asking, but you're never returning the favor. So if you want people to do things for you, you know, it, it kind of ties into the last one. You need to go in and say, this is what I'm going to do, but this is what I'll do for you. So, hey, can you cut my chives today? And then I'll clean your station um, so you could get out early. So there has to be some sort of exchange of energy for the favor. If there's no exchange, then what that leads to is resentment and distrust later on. So the first thing that you have to ask yourself whenever you're going to ask someone for a favor is, is there anything in it for them? And if there's not, you might need to reframe what you're going to ask them for that favor because they might do it, but then that might be the last favor you'll ever get from them. And it might cause a little bit of uh, resentment uh, in the relationship between the two of you. So little off topic rant, when I recorded the last one, I was a little harsh on myself because I thought, I don't know if I was being, uh, if I was giving you guys like the real, the real, real, sometimes I was holding back a little bit because, you know, the audience that listens to this podcast range from entry level cooks to seasoned executive chefs. And so sometimes I, I, I want to just say, look, this is, this is the way it is. Like this is some ugly things that I've seen in the kitchen and these are some dirty tactics. So, um, I held back a little bit. So I'm going to, I'm going to try not to hold back as much, um, because there needs to be a good understanding of reality. So now we get into law 14, which this is going to apply to pose as a friend, but work as a spy. This is everything from networking with other chefs, learning from other people in different kitchens. This is, uh, the line cook next to you is you need to be nice to get information. Sometimes this uh, posing as a friend, but working as a spy helps you get into information that you may need um, to help you out with whatever it is that you may potentially be working on. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this. Again, I, I mentioned earlier, people do this. Like, you might not think that this happens. If you, if you don't think it's happening, it's because you're not doing it, but someone's doing it to you. So you need to keep your, keep your uh, antenna up, keep your spider senses sharp. Because I, I know I have chef friends that, um, you know, they, they think I'm not aware that they, that they use me as a spy or that they're a spy and that they use me for information. Um, I'm aware, but I, I, I play the game, right? Because, you know, I'm, I'm keen to what's, what's happening. So uh, I'm like, you guys can't mess with me. Like I'm the, I'm the kitchen art of war guy. You guys aren't going to get past me with your tricks. Like I wrote the damn book. Literally, I wrote the book. Anyway. Law number 15, crush your enemies totally. This is one is, uh, it's a bit brutal. If another restaurant is spreading negative rumors about you, if people are saying things uh, about you, if you have a cook in the kitchen that is saying things that they shouldn't say, if someone's done something in your kitchen, you have to, when I say crush your enemies, that might mean firing someone uh, for insubordination in the moment. It's a show of power as the chef. When someone gets away with something, what's happening in the kitchen, there's a social dynamic. When someone misbehaves in the kitchen and does something inappropriately, it's all eyes on you if you're the chef, because now everyone's watching you and saying, what is, what are they going to do? How are they going to handle this situation? If you handle it poorly, right, and you've done nothing about it. So let's say someone's done something bad and you did nothing about it. Now what you have to do is you're going to have to correct every single person that does it now because they just all said, well, it's acceptable because that person did it and got away with it. We could all get away with it. The idea of 
it's not a rule unless it's enforced. You have to keep that in mind. So when you see someone break, you know, one of the deadly sins in, in your particular workplace, if the rule is fire them for that, you have to fire them, period. Because if not, then you're going to create dissension amongst the ranks. Everyone's going to say, oh, it's okay for them, but it's not okay for me. So if the rule is the rule is the rule, it's the rule for everybody, right? You have to crush them as difficult as it may be, because I know it's difficult. You build relationships with people, you care about them. And sometimes they do something totally stupid. It's like you, you can't do anything about it. But um, if someone is out there, another restaurant doing your food and they're like, like, let's say your sous chef has left and gone somewhere else and they're doing your food, like you need to burn them. I, I hate to say that, but uh, if, the, if they're hurting your business or they're calling people up and stealing your cooks because they used to work there and then now they've gone to another place down the street and now they're calling all your employees. Like I, I've been with people that send, you know, get the lawyers involved, cease and desist. Like the second that you allow people to do that is the second that it becomes okay. You have to, you have to prevent people from doing that. Um, and I'll give one more example of, you know, crushing your uh, enemy totally. And, uh, you know, Charlie Trotter, when you think about this, there was a documentary on him. It's a great documentary. Uh, everyone should go watch it. I did a podcast on it, but he was known. And I think Grant Ackett's talks about this in his book that if you didn't work there for a certain amount of time, don't ever put them on your resume. And a lot of chefs are like that. A lot of, a lot of great chefs stick to this rule. And that is, if you don't work for me for a minimum of one year, don't even say you worked here. And the reason they do that is because it usually takes someone approximately six months to get good at their job. And then the next six months is usually the return on the investment for the person that hired you. So if you're not even going to make it a year, then it was a lot of effort put in on the time of the person that hired you, but they never got to their full return on the second that you were proficient at your job. And so what ends up happening in a lot of great kitchens, and I'm, I'm, I'm making this example up, but let's say you're working at the best restaurant uh, in Copenhagen and you went there and you were, you, know, you were doing a stage and you worked there for three months and then you leave there, but all you really did at that stage was you know, pick herbs or whatever and then you leave there and then you get a sous chef job or you get a, a head chef job at a, at a restaurant in a smaller city, um, you used that place as a stepping stone just to get the name on your resume. Um, and three months later, now you're, you're a hot commodity, a hot commodity in you know, a non-primary market. Well, it's not fair to the people that are still there that have been there that have been earning it. Right. So that's why it rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And a lot of people will say, if you don't do a year here, they're going to crush you for it. So don't even, don't even list them. Cause they'll, They'll say, oh, yeah, that person didn't really work here. They did this, that, and the other. Or they'll say, no, we don't, we've never heard of them. So anyway, be aware that there are people out there that will crush you for that. Number 16, use absence to increase respect and honor. I'm not sure if everyone's heard the expression familiarity breeds contempt. And that is when you get too familiar with people, that's usually when they start pushing the line a little bit further and further with you. So if you're a sous chef, like you go out drinking with people, you go out drinking with your cooks. The next day, it's very difficult to hold them accountable when they're like, hey, last night I saw you shit face. I had to pick you up off the floor. And today you're yelling at me because my chives aren't right. What about last night? That idea of familiarity sometimes can work to your detriment. It's good to be around your people and it's good to be friendly with them. But the second that you get too close is the second that it starts to work to your disadvantage, right? How are you going to hold someone accountable for something very, very difficult when they're your best friend. 
this is something that a lot of people struggle with when they get into into leadership positions, especially when they're new sous chefs, is you get too comfortable with the people around you, and then you have a hard time when they talk back to you, right? And those people can't sometimes disassociate you with the friend outside of work and the boss inside of work. Using absence to increase respect and honor is a good thing. So sometimes step away, disappear, go on vacation. Don't go out with them all the time. Make the relationship between you and everyone else sometimes a little bit more professional and less familiar. And sometimes that can work to your advantage. There has to be a little bit of a line between leadership and, um, and, and people that aren't in the leadership positions because it, it makes it easier when times come to uh, give orders or hold people accountable. Now, I'm not saying like this is a gray area and that line is different for everybody depending on the restaurant. But what I am saying is if you are too comfortable, it will work to your detriment. Law number 17, keep others in suspended terror, cultivate an air of unpredictability. This is like classic old school kitchens, uh, you know, where the chef was a, a walking temper tantrum, the air of unpredictability. Um, so obviously this is, I don't, I don't condone that explosive environment. Um, I am an intense chef when I, when I used to be a chef, I was intense, but I wasn't like a yelling chef. I was just intense. Like I was focused, I was disciplined and I was um, zero zero negotiation on the standard. The standard is the standard is the standard. But one thing that I used to have this chef that would come up to me and, uh, they, they, they were a big guy and, you know, he'd put his hand on my shoulder and he, you know, he's like, I think he was 10 feet tall and then he'd whisper in my ear, what are you doing? And I'd say, uh, I'm cutting the tomato chef. And he would stay silent and he would say, they look good. And my heart would be beating out like, what is he going to, is he going to beat me up for the tomatoes? Like, are they not right? But it was like, he, he had this, like, you never knew, like, is he going to tell me that I'm, I'm incorrect and you know, throw it in the trash and start over? Or was it, oh, they're, they're good. And I never knew it was like, and he would always have this dramatic pause of silence. So one thing that I used to do in kitchens is, uh, you know, we'd have like uh, health inspection drills, fire drills, like it would be printed out on the wall. So if a fire, uh, if not a fire drill, if a health inspector showed up, everyone knew do this step one, step two, step three, step four, and everyone had a role. So this person does this, this person does that. So you go get the sanitation buckets, you go uh, do this, that, and the other. Make or make sure that everything's labeled and dated. Now, inevitably, yes, I had high standard kitchens, but we're also dealing with human beings and not everything was perfect all the time. But sometimes I would fake these fire drills. Like I'd say, the health inspector's here. And I'd see everyone scramble and this, that, and the other because I just wanted to keep them on their toes. They never knew when it was real. Or we'd say the food critic is in. We'd think, oh, that's the, that's the food critic right there. Just to keep, people, keep everyone sharp, just to see how they're going to perform under stress, right? So the, the more stress and, and uh, unpredictability that you could, um, that you could, implement in your operation, the better people will perform in those situations. If you're never in a stressful situation, it's going to be chaotic when that stressful situation comes. And if you've worked in kitchens, you understand almost every day is stressful and chaotic, but it, it's a, it's a predictable stress and chaos. Every now and again, there's the, um, the unpredictability that's introduced through a food critic or a health inspector or, uh, you know, the power going out or the micros going down, whatever the case may be. When those things happen, it's like, okay, now we've introduced a new element of chaos and this unpredictability keeps people on their toes and it, and it helps people get better. So introducing unpredictability in your kitchen, I, th I think is something that um, will help 
sharpen your team and keep them, keep them engaged. Um, and also, you know, adrenaline sometimes is a good thing, like, especially for cooks, right? We're all adrenaline junkies and, you know, the mundane can seem boring, but you remember those days that were like, like in the moment they suck. Like everyone's like, oh, that day was terrible. At the end of the day, like, you, you know, but the next day you're like, oh, you got stories and you want to share with your buddies like, oh, this happened and man, I was sweating, but you love it, right? In retrospect, all those crazy moments, most of them you love. Number 18, do not build fortresses to protect yourself. Isolation is dangerous. So this is almost uh, counter to what we talked about earlier about using absence to increase respect and honor. Here, this, this is maybe pointing out the opposite, is that you need to engage with your team, but let's, let's take it a step further. You need to engage with the culinary community. You need to be involved in food events, food festivals. You need to go to people's restaurants you need to be involved with your vendors and people need to know you need to be on social media. You can't, you can't be isolated from the world, especially as a chef. If people don't know who you are, it's going to be very difficult um, to attract customers to your restaurant. But moreover, it's going to be difficult to attract people to come work for you. It's also going to be difficult when that time comes that you want to go to the next job. If no one knows who you are, then who's going to vouch for you, Right. Because that's what ends up happening is they call someone and say, hey, did you work with so-and-so? Yeah, they're great. Or they're not so great. But the worst thing is like, hey, have you ever heard of so-and-so? And everyone's like, nah, never heard of them. They're a ghost. Like that's, that's the worst. And sometimes I would have those conversations with people when you'd be hiring this person. Like, do you know who they are? Like, no, they're a ghost. They have no social media profile. No one's ever heard of them. Uh, they don't know any vendors. They don't go to any events. Like, why should we, we can't hire them. So let's say you're doing a cooking interview. And you have a reputation. Everyone knows you. You have some awards. You're in the press. You go to all the food events. You have a good social media page. And let's say you bomb on the cooking interview and you don't do well. People are going to be like, yeah, but I've had their food before. This might have just been an off day. And, they're, and you're going to get the job, right? So you, you get a little bit of, they cut you a little bit of slack. Now, let's say no one's ever heard of you and you're a ghost and you bomb on the cooking interview. Well, they have nothing to go off of. They're going to say, well, that must be how they perform all the time. So Having a presence and not isolating yourself in the culinary world is a good thing. Have some sort of presence and let people know who you are. Number 19, know who you're dealing with. Do not offend the wrong person. Um, I, I think this goes without saying, like, be mindful of who's in the dining room. It might be a food critic. Like, they might, they might be a, a major influencer with, you know, millions of followers that are going to hurt your business, Right. I know people that have pissed off a food critic and then their restaurants are closed shortly afterwards, right? It happens. I mean, I, I, I hate to say that I've been involved in a situation like that, but when my dining experience with a food critic didn't go well, my restaurants ended up closing not too long after that. I know that from experience. Food critics might not have as much power as they used to, but influencers do or certain people on open table or whatever the case may be. Also be respectful of your boss. You don't want to offend them right? You never, you never know how someone's going to react to being offended. Maybe you do know, but in, in a lot of cases you don't. And, and sometimes you could offend someone and you might've just pushed the wrong button on the wrong day and boom, now you're out of a job. You offended the boss's friend or you said something, you made an inappropriate joke or whatever the case may be. Like you need to be careful about knowing who you're working with because you burn one bridge 
And you might be burning 10 other ones, right? Because that person may be a powerful person and you get blacklisted and say, okay, you know, that don't ever hire that person. And they group text all their friends with a photograph and say, don't hire that person. Now that happens. That does happen. Like people think that doesn't happen. It does happen. I've, I've interviewed people from restaurants and then I'll text my buddy and say, Hey, do you know so-and-so that worked at this restaurant? And they'll say, absolutely don't hire them. That, that does happen. And I don't know the backstory and it's just a simple don't hire them. I know my friend and I trust them. I don't know this person. And if they say don't hire them, there must be, there must be a reason that they said that, but maybe there is no reason. Maybe the reason is they just made a joke that they didn't like, or maybe they just didn't, maybe they just didn't like them. I don't know that, but I'm going to take the word of the person. So point being is you must be careful who you're being offensive to. Number 20, do not commit to anyone. This is something that, uh, I'm, learning more and more right now as I do Chef's PSA. I, I get a lot of people that want to work with me. I get asked to do a lot of things. And when I was a chef, you would say yes to most things if they kind of fell in line with with uh, what you were doing. But now I get asked to do things that I, like this is a new world. I might get asked to go do a public speaking somewhere or you know do a presentation somewhere. And now I'm realizing like I, I, I can't say yes to everything. I need to be selective to certain things because a lot of people just want you for their gain, but don't necessarily care about what you're doing, right? A lot of people want to use you because of the audience that you have, or they want to use you um, to help build their name. But like we said earlier, like if there's nothing in it for me, it's a something for nothing deal. And you have to understand that you cannot commit to every single thing. Just practice saying no. And I, and I think that's a useful skill Something that I'm learning more as I'm, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm going down this path, but it's something that I've learned lately as I say no to a lot more things now uh, than I say yes to. So anyway, keep that in mind. Number 21, play a sucker to catch a sucker. Seem dumber than your mark. Um, and I touched on this a little bit earlier that sometimes I'll play naive in the situation just so I could set a trap or so I could get more information or sometimes I'll just play naive and give them bad information. I, I think... Everyone usually assumes that they're smarter than you in general, like in general, like get, get five of your friends around you and ask them, do you think you're smarter than me? And I guarantee you like four out of five are going to think that they're smarter than you. And I guarantee you, you're thinking you're smarter than all five most of the time, right? You have to use that to your advantage. Sometimes I'll act dumb. Like I remember, I remember I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine and they had to introduce someone new to the conversation and they brought up a subject that was like my wheelhouse and I could speak about it at length. Like they weren't on my level to even have this conversation and they brought the subject up and my friend was like, Oh, don't, don't bring this subject up around Andre. Why would you ask him? Like he knows everything about the subject, but I, I didn't, I played dumb and, um, we had a good conversation. Sometimes I will disarm people by being a little less knowledgeable on subjects than I really am just because um, I get to understand the person a little bit more and see their true character or their true intention. So anyway, I'm, I'm always playing chess, 3D chess or 4D chess, whichever one's better. Anyway, that's all we're going to get to today. So I'm going to continue on with the series. Let me know if you like it. Um, thank you very much for, for listening. If you want to support the show, make sure you leave five stars. I'll tell you what I found interesting is that the best chefs and cooks in the world leave five stars. The worst ones, oh, they don't, they don't do anything. But, uh, so you, if you're a good chef, the best, you'd leave five stars.
Anyway, if you want to support the show, go to chefspsa.com. You can get the books, uh, Kitchen Art of War, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals. You can also get the video course on Culinary Leadership Fundamentals. Get yourself a journal. Write shit down. Thank you very much. See you next week. Hit the porno music. Music.